Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Dardashe. I'm Salim Barahme, the director of BIPD. Today, uh, we're going to be joined by Farah Nabulsi, a Palestinian British filmmaker and human rights advocate. And her latest short film, The Present, uh, was recently uh, shortlisted for the Oscars. Uh, Farah, uh, thank you so much for being here. It's, it's, it's great to have you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. How, how are you? How are, how are things? I know you're uh, based in London at the moment. Yeah, I mean, the, you know, like the rest of the world, dealing with this this past year and the pandemic, but uh, alhamdulillah, can't complain, can't complain. Good. Had, I've had an extraordinary year when it comes to the film, so. Yeah, I mean, um, I want to I wanna talk, I definitely want to talk about the film, but I want to also talk about your journey to filmmaking. So I, I wanted to start a bit to, to, to try to get to know you a bit more and, um, you know, where did you grow up? What, what's your connection to Palestine and what eventually brought you to this, to this work? Yeah, so I was, I was born, raised, educated in the UK. And uh, my, my business background, I said my business, my, my, my educational and uh, career background, if you like, professional background was in business and, and mm. finance. And um, so I, I, I didn't study film. I didn't go to film school. I didn't work in the film industry. Um, I'd been to Palestine many times as a child. And, um, and then around the first intifada, the 1988, we don't go back for many, many years, over 25 years. And then a few years ago, I went back for the first time as an adult. And growing up in the UK, I, I, I knew and know my, my, my blood is, is Palestinian. So there was never a question about that. Um, and I was very up to date in many ways and aware of what was going on there. But when I went for the first time as an adult, I saw that reality with, with my own two eyes yeah, and it just, it hit me like a ton of bricks. It was, it was really, um, without sort of sounding like cheesy, it, it was a life changing trip for me. Um, and I was overwhelmed. I was overwhelmed by what I, what I saw in terms of, you know, whether it's the wall plowing between Palestinian homes and lands and separating families and, the illegal settlements, these colonies on all the hilltops. You could look at a map mm. of these settlements, but it's not the same as driving past and seeing them, you know, up on the hilltops. Um, the refugee camps, the separate road systems, the permit system. I mean, I could go on and on and on. So um, I kind of came back to what I consider my life of privilege. And I was writing therapeutically about what I had seen and what I had felt and what I began to imagine as I naturally started to experience sort of or exercise my empathy by placing myself into the shoes of, of, of those suffering the injustice. And it was for personal reasons. And then a couple of years later, I was really struggling with this kind of development. I went back to Palestine a couple of times and I felt frustrated and I could even say to you almost verging on depression, you know, mm -hmm. at the time I was running a business, um, but I really felt I needed to do more uh, beyond charity, beyond sympathy. Um, and 
I came across my writings and long story short, I decided to adapt those initial writings to short films. Um, so I wrote and produced my first three short films um, because I really felt compelled to, to tell these human stories and, and to express myself creatively. I think there was a very creative side to me as an individual that I wasn't necessarily tapping into. I've always loved film. Um, I, I mean, my sister, she said, Farah, anyone who knew you as a teenager knows you're exactly where you're supposed to be now, um, which felt right when she said it. I mean, I had a huge smile on my face because I knew there was truth to what she was mm -hmm. saying. Um, and, you know, I've I, 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 I got the bug. I, 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 I love what I'm doing. Um, and I feel like I'm in so many ways, not just getting to know my identity as a filmmaker, as a human being, as an artist better, but, but you know, giving, giving a voice to, to, to the silenced. And, um, and like I said, telling these human stories um, in a way where, you know, uh, for me, having been born and raised in the West, in the UK, um, it's the way I know how to tell stories, which is essentially more to Western audiences. Um, and I think that a big reason why the situation in Palestine has been allowed to go on for so long and on such a scale, even though, you know, we have truth and right and international law, you know, uh, <laughs> for decades on our side, is because not enough people know about what's going on. This is separate to those who do know and are, are willfully blind, but I'm saying most people don't really know. And even when one does get to know about injustice in the world, you really have to empathize in order to ever want to take action. You know, you really have to feel with another mm. to, to, to be compelled to actually do something about it. And I just don't think there was enough or has been enough empathy. There might be sympathy, but not enough empathy with Palestinians and their plight and the oppression and all this injustice, decades and decades of what I call oceans of injustice. And that's the, the first name of my first film. Um, and so for me, art is a means of, of speaking to people's hearts. Um, and like I said, allows me to, you know, to express myself as well. So that's, I don't know, that's... Uh... No, absolutely. And it's, it's such an important medium to be able to, to convey and share the story of Palestine with the world in a way that does uh, touch into or tap into people's empathy. I, I agree with you. I think that's, that's one thing that's extremely missing. I wanted to go back just to, to ask you a question. You know, you, you mentioned as a child, you visited Palestine often. And I was wondering if... You know, you you at some point compared your memories as a child to when you were an adult visiting again for the first time, uh, and and what the difference was. Because I find myself, after spending about nine ten years abroad, you know, the, the way I digested everything obviously is different, but it 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 shows you the gravity of of the situation once you're or you you understand it more. So I'm curious for someone who wasn't able to go for so long. What was that evolution like from, from child Farah to adult Farah? So when, when we used to go as children, when I used to go as a child with my siblings, um, 
that was, you know, at a time when uh, the military was even on the bridge as we would cross from Jordan, okay? And so I do have some very vivid memories. And my sister has an, you know, even more vivid memories, my older sister and my older brother, um, where they have, you know, quite traumatic detail of, of our experiences, you know, um, going there and spending some time there. But again, you look at the world when you're a child through innocent child eyes. And so the majority of my memories were, were really happy memories, you know, fresh made lemonade in Jamain, you know, um, uh, uh, or visiting my, my grandfather's you know, uh, fa the family home um, in, in Jamain or in Burqa, um, my grandparents' home in Nablus, uh, and, and, you know, just, just that being with family, cousins mm -hmm. and, and uncles and aunts and uh, nice memories, okay? But, 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 but remembering and recalling that there was military and there's a few incidents of stories which I, I can vividly remember, you know, like where, where, they would kind of come into Nablus and the military. So I have sort of good and bad, but overall, they were happy memories. Mm -hmm. Whereas going back uh, as an adult, you know, you see reality for reality. So while certain dynamics have changed, you know, you can cross the border and it's immigration, if you like, at the border, as opposed to, you know, soldiers and things like that. Um, you pick up on all the nuances, you pick up on the actual reality of the situation and it's darker and it's more sinister and you realize that it is a, a systematic, systematized, industrial uh, complex of control. And, and so, so while you can be in Nablus, for example, and no, you, you know, if you're in Nablus or in central Ramallah, so I don't mean on the outskirts, but in the, you, you could in many ways be none the wiser, you know, in that sense, unless of course you're there at a time where there is a lot of turbulence and incursions and things like that. But in general, you can, you can get on with things, but as an adult, you become so acutely aware of of, you know, whether, so now, you know, you're looking at a watchtower and you're aware that, okay, you're being watched. Um, the wall itself is overwhelming. Um, the, 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 just the reality of it. It's, mm -hmm. it's just a different ball game, adult versus child. It, it, it just really is. And, mm -hmm. and it just, it struck me in a much more visceral way um than i ever thought it would because like i said i thought i understood what was happening i'm not i'm i wasn't a, a sort of palestinian born in in england who'd kind of forgotten her roots i was in hyde park as a teenager cycling for medical aid for palestine in my very british school they would ask the students which charity are we going to support and i'd be like uh we're going to do you know um welfare association or you know i don't like it was always yeah. you know <laughs> so it was never far from my heart just you can't you can't compare when you're there there's, yeah there's, there is really nothing like it and i i always i always say that you know regardless of what your political background is if you can stand at kalendia and come the other side come out the other side still holding on to those beliefs you know that's that's something else because it, it really really i mean after that you really start questioning human nature and humanity and all these things was there a specific and you know, 
you know what else I think I you know people say oh you know okay Palestine you know okay what about all these other issues in the world and all that and I'm kind of like part of me is first of all like oh my God, my heart is with so much tragedy and injustice in the world, but there's only 24 hours in the day, seven days a week, and you know, 365 days a year. Now, if not a Palestinian for Palestine, then who is obviously you know, a big question. But the fact of the matter is, I'm not really, I'm not nationalistic as a person. I'm not, I'm not one of these people, whether it's British, Palestinian, I'm, I'm much more one of those, you know, call me a hippie if you like, but in terms of I'm a citizen of the world, like I, I, I really, for me, even if I wasn't Palestinian, the, the Palestinian cause, this struggle for, for self-determination, for freedom, for justice, for equality, these are universal rights, universal things to strive for that as a human being, you know, we, we should be struggling for, regardless of who you are, where you are in the world, or, you know, and of course, anti-racism, anti-discrimination in all its shapes and forms all around the world. Um, so I always say, like, if, if the situation there were to resolve and, and everything were to be great, I, I'd like to think I'd be championing another another cause in that sense. But at the end of the day, you know, you can't sort of just dilute yourself and be struggling for all causes all the time, everywhere. I'd, I'd have a nervous breakdown and I wouldn't even laugh. Like, it's impossible. But the fact is, it is such a noble cause universally. If people really understand it, they would recognize in the 21st century for this to be happening, a form of colonial settlerism um, and, and, and modern day, yes, ethnic cleansing and, and how long it's been going on and the aiding and abetting of, of, of governments and, and our tax monies. And, you know, it's, it's, I, think, I think genuine, decent people would, just like happened in, in, in apartheid South Africa, when, when the world came to really recognize how unjust a situation is, then one would certainly rally for it. But uh, anyway, I went off track here. I don't even no, know. You know absolutely. That. And I think this is, I mean, it ties us really well with, with the, the, the films you produce and, 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 and the topics they take on. Uh, one thing I try to connect a lot uh, with, with people about is the idea or the story of children. Children being arrested, taken from their homes in the middle of their, the night, the trauma that causes we, we recently, a few years back, did a, did a small short documentary about the mental health of the children of Gaza, the generation that has never left, grew up under siege to the sound of drones and bombings and, and have seen death and destruction. Imagine the toll that takes on entire societies. And, and that was, you know, the, the idea of, 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 of that has, was, was, you know, uh, the, the subject of one of your short films. Um, it was the, the first one I've seen, by the way, uh, and of your work. Um, Today they took my son, yeah. Yeah. That, that film, I mean, <clears throat> that is, is based on a UNHCR uh, a document, a report mm -hmm. about, about Palestinian children under Israeli military detention. Um, and I just, I mean, when I kind of, Look, I'm a mother, mm -hmm. and I have three boys who, if I just think for a second, you know, had to 
undergo what so many Palestinian children have experienced and continue to experience. It just breaks the heart. So you don't have to, again, be Palestinian to, to, to understand and feel that. Um, it's, it's the universal parenthood, motherhood, fatherhood. Um, and that report for me is, is, is truth. It's, uh, it's the reality. Mm. So that film was one of those films where I, it wasn't a choice to make. I had to make it. It was, mm. it was, it was I, I, you know, how do I say? Like, it just, it really was one of those films where you just have to make it because you're telling such a painful, true story that you need others to understand and and you know and I felt like by doing it the way we did it at least people can can understand it's it's different yeah. when you hand them a report and it's just dry and you say hey here you go this happens to x number of children and you know then their hands are bound and then this happens and then that happens and when you know it's uh and it's not just painful for the children I mean think about what that does to a parent you know it's it's almost like <laughs> god I just so disturbing to me yeah just so disturbing i mean that's the the power of of the medium i think um because within the context of palestine we've been dehumanized for so long we haven't been able to share our own stories and so if you fully try to convey to people this experience through a report i think that's only going to go so far and turning it into a video or a film or a short or an inter interactive display whatever it is i think is is, is a better way or a more effective way, I should say, of building that human empathy, reminding people. I feel like that's the hardest part of my job is trying to remind people that we are also human uh, because it takes a, a toll on you trying to convince others that you deserve freedom and rights like everyone else. Um, but yeah, I, for me, the, that issue and, and the issue of trauma, just the level of trauma that, that our entire society, whether it's, trauma from being uh, exiled or, expelled or expelled or whether it's the trauma of living under apartheid and that's inherited as well you know it's it's i mean scientifically it's within your our dna those those memories and those feelings and so it's a, you know you know what i say i mean so you've got to you've got to remember like that and, and when you say inherited traumas and think of all the trauma in all the refugee camps and the, you know and, and it's just it's insane but I always, I always, my empathy reaches out in every direction in the world. And I've always said, I've, I've always understood the trauma of, of, of the Jewish people. Okay. And, and for, for centuries, you know, whether it's the pogroms, whether, you know, all this violence and, and, uh, and hatred that has um, been, been, been placed on Jewish societies for a very, very long time. And then of course the Holocaust and all of that and the trauma. And of course this doesn't excuse what is happening in Palestine but it explains to you a lot of the psychology of it. And, um, and it's so ironic that there is this, in many ways, the entire, the entire plot of earth <laughs> where you know uh, Palestine, historical Palestine, 48 Palestine, Israel, like this whole area is traumatized. Mm. And 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 I always said, if you want the real, real solution, we should have 20,000 
psychologists literally descend upon the land like if every psychologist worldwide were to be like i'm giving my 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 psychotherapy sessions for free i know this sounds ridiculous but actually it's no. not okay because really that's where so much is rooted they descend upon the land they give three free therapy for everyone every israeli every palestinian muslim christian every jew everyone for a year two years three years whatever it is and you will realize that so much of the problem is is that trauma that current trauma that inherited trauma that blinds so so much of of the understanding of 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 each other but also in many ways for israeli society jewish israeli society specifically to recognize that Palestinians are not some kind of um, um, hateful people, you know, somehow um, uh, who are out to get them, you know, with no reason and no sense or sensibility. And it's just like, you know, instinctively just hateful people who hate. It's, it's rubbish. But, but when they are veiled with their trauma, that's how they perceive us, you know? And, and our trauma is, is what they don't realize is that you know, it's perpetrating and it's making it worse and worse and worse in the way that we are being treated and dealt with. And that our, our Nakba, our, which is ongoing, is never recognized, is never atoned for, is never acknowledged, you know, makes it even, even worse. Um, if, if only one could, could let them recognize that just seeing us, as human beings and recognizing our humanity and saying, oh my God, I recognize what was done to you. And I am genuinely sorry for what was done to you. And we genuinely want to make amends. Even that, if it was genuine, how far that would go. Yeah. You know, uh, it's, it's, so I personally think, uh, more than the 50% of this issue, let's go beyond the ideological birth mother of the state of Israel being a colonial Zionist enterprise. I'm saying just, I really think major, major part of this is the psychological, the underlying psychological issues. It's a, history is a vicious, vicious cycle of trauma that gets re-triggered all the time. And we are uh, caught in that cycle. And we're the latest victims of that cycle. And I, you know, I, I agree. I think, uh, you know, if, if there's one public service announcement we can make throughout this episode is please, therapy is great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if one could access it. I mean, when you think about it, I remember one article not too long ago regarding, uh, of course, the, 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 the PTSD in, in Gaza specifically, especially of children, and the fact that they don't actually have access to, you know, uh, you can count the number of actual therapists on your fingers kind of thing in, in Gaza, and they have no access to, to that kind of help. And, and, uh, and of course, it doesn't help if it's still ongoing. So it's not like, oh, we experienced a trauma, it's over, now we need to work through it. No, it's at any moment, we're going to be inundated with that same trauma. We don't know when, we don't know where, we don't know how. We're continually living, actually, that trauma in so many other ways. How do you ever rise up from that? How do you ever get through that? And this is where it's so tragic. It's not like we even have access. Um, yeah, and it, the, 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 the terrible thing also slightly about within our society, it's therapy or seeing a therapist is still slightly taboo. 
right? Because they associate it with really negative notions of what that means. So not only is it not accessible, but it's also taboo. And that combination is, is no, it, it's not great. Um, speaking of trauma, I, I grew up uh, in, so I grew up in the 90s and, and the early 2000s. Those were my formative years. And so it was during the second intifada. And one big thing that I, as an adult, the reason why I asked you the question about seeing something through a child's eyes versus an adult's eyes is I could never move freely throughout the country. There's a lot of Palestine and historic Palestine I've never seen until now. Uh, I remember the first time I, I went to Haifa was when I was 28, uh, even though it's you know not, not too far away, two hour drive. And uh, the wall, the, the checkpoints at their height were, were when I was still a teenager. And so, you know, reading about the, the present and, and seeing the film and, and seeing how you captured the essence of the freedom of movement, but also the levels of humiliation that Palestinians go to just to, to be able to go a very short distance is very powerful. What made you um, take that issue on and why did you want to make a, a film about it? So with the president, I mean, when, when people ask me, what inspired you? Um, I, you know, I say, of course, it's in many ways based on my own personal experience at, at checkpoints. And of course, observing Palestinians at numerous checkpoints, so hundreds and hundreds of Palestinians at numerous checkpoints. I have personally deliberately gone through actually two very key checkpoints that um, Palestinians without cars would go through. So I've, I've actually at three in the morning gone through the whole process and until I get to a certain place and I actually turned around and come back just to even have that personal experience of, of what it is like even to be in, in, in the checkpoints that I wouldn't normally go through as a, you know, as, as Farah, just, you know. Um, so I've even put myself in these situations to really feel and understand. And that's before I was a filmmaker. So mm -hmm. it was just me saying, right, let me understand this more. Um, and it's uh, a story that is, I say the seed of this particular story is uh, me getting to know a, a young man in Hebron, Khalil, um, who lives uh, in Shahada Street in that, in that area where, uh, as you know, um, mm -hmm. there's something like 800, settlers um, bang in the heart of one of the biggest cities. If I'm not mistaken, Hebron is the biggest uh, city. The biggest, in, yeah. In the world. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so it's like 150,000 people, but for 800 settlers, they have a whole infrastructure of checkpoints and so forth. Anyway, this young man, he lives on a road where uh, about 100 meters from his house is a checkpoint. And he has to go through that checkpoint no matter where he wants to go, what he wants to do, who he wants to see, what he wants to buy. And that, of course, includes his, his mother, who he lives with and any other Palestinian in that area, they have to go through this. So, so I remember standing with him on the other side of the checkpoint at one point, and we were looking at this really monstrous checkpoint that, that actually, uh, when I sketched the checkpoint for the present, I was basing it on that with the turnstile and with the metal mm -hmm. detector, that, that it was very similar to, to what he has to go through. And I said to him at the time, I was like, so you go through this what? two, three, four times a day. It's like, yeah, I mean, unless I'm sitting at home all day that, you know, this is it. And, and, you know, the conversation went in, okay, so 
if they've seen you earlier and they know you like from, you know, for that past week, two weeks, you know, don't they kind of go, oh, okay, you know, and he's like, well, first of all, you know, there's this deliberate process. If you never leave these Israeli soldiers there long enough to get to know the people, because then they get a taste of your humanity. Mm, and and, wow. and this, this system of making sure that they keep rotating so that, you know, you don't have the same soldiers for long periods of time where somehow a relationship could develop or where somehow they could see your humanity or you could see, you know what I mean? It's a, it's a very deliberate. And then on top of that, I was like, so if you had a couch, like you needed a new couch for your house, how, how, you know, how do you, how do you bring it through? And he's like, yeah, it doesn't fit. It doesn't go. I mean, you know, and technically it's like, oh, okay. You know, then I even asked him, well, what if you needed new knives to cut your food with? Okay. So it's something that fits. And it's like, well, you try show up, you know, to a checkpoint with a few kitchen, like, you know, I, just to imagine these, these things were just blowing my mind. And I was like, he's like, well, you, you know, technically you're supposed to take permit. I'm like, so you're going to, ask for a permit to bring knives to your house, which is the most normal thing in the world to be able to bring, you need a cutting knife, you need a hammer, you know, whatever you need in your home, like a normal human being, you should not have to take a permit for it. But all of a sudden, these dynamics were just so warped, mm -hmm. just for everyday life, on his road, his, his family home. So I just, that, that really, you know, so this is where the sort of idea of the present was born, born, you know, in terms of such a simple story. And yet it speaks volumes about such an absurd, humiliating, cruel situation in reality. Hebron, Hebron is the, the darkest form uh, or level of, of the ugliness of human nature I've ever seen. I mean, apartheid in your face. Yeah, 101. 101. I, I was in South Africa a few years ago and I, I went to Robben Island and I, I met a former prisoner who gives the tours and I, I introduced myself and he spoke to it and he said, he said to me, you know, it, the, the system in Palestine is much more oppressive and much more humiliating. And he used that word humiliating than anything we ever experienced in, in South Africa. And that to me really opened my eyes because I was there and I was quite shaken by to learn about the context and, and experience of black South Africans. But, but, the, but to have him say that to me, I was like, wow. Okay. So, yeah. You know, do you know what's interesting when you say that? So what I've concluded in some ways is that when I meet certain Westerners who have, who are more passionate and more active and more involved with Palestinian human rights and freedom than many Palestinians, actually many Arabs and, you know, that I've come across. It's usually because they went and they saw in, in Palestine what's, what's happening, right? And, and what contradicts pretty much what they kind of grown up being, you know, led to believe or the misperceptions or misconceptions that had been, uh, you know, uh, provided to them. And it's so interesting because I think, uh, as a society, if you're in, and correct me if I'm wrong, but if you're in the oppression, you're in the eye of the storm in many ways, and you, you, you're, you're, and, and that inherited trauma, and you are, it's, it's going, it's, it's been decades, you know, and you, you, you're born there and you live in there. Somehow, somehow, I suppose also as a coping mechanism, you have to just deal with it, right? It's survival mode. So in many ways, maybe. 
you almost don't see how bad the situation is as one coming from the outside to see on the inside actually gets affected and impacted. It's almost, I don't want to call it, it's not the words, not numb. It's more just you, you, it's a coping mechanism as well. And it's also just your reality. So you kind of come to terms with a reality. You're not happy with it. You're struggling with it, but outsiders coming in, it hits them in the face. It's like, bam. And in many ways, that's what happened to me, despite Isaiah, an outsider. Yes, I am an outsider, meaning having lived my whole life in the UK. So it really hit me like, like I said, a ton of bricks, you know, shocking. Um, and, and I think the same for Westerners. And I think even in that, in that case, this, this man you mentioned, you know, he's experienced apartheid South Africa, but he can now look from the outside into Palestine and go, okay, hold on. I can see this is even worse. Yeah. And I just wonder, actually, and you tell me, I mean, Palestinians in Palestine, obviously they know this is just not right, not acceptable, not, you know, but do you feel that there has been a sense of, of just not, not capitulation, but a little bit of like, okay, this has just been going on so long. We're exhausted. There's only so much yeah. we can do. And then a kind of. Absolutely. I think. Not, and I'm sorry. And, and just to be clear, I'm not, I'm not unaware of the deliberate process that, that Israel puts on Palestinians to have to just cope with life that they, they don't even have time to even breathe, you know, let alone they're trying to put food on the table here, you know? Mm-hmm. So so I, I get that, you know, you keep them so Palestinians so busy with just having to survive that there is no room to kind of figure out how to end it, if you, you get my meaning. The, 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 but you know Absolutely. what I mean. Yeah, I think so. There's a, the short answer is people crave normalcy. People, people crave normalcy. They've been denied it for a very long time. And the, the longer answer, uh, and to put it into context, if you look at Palestinian society, it's it's majority under 30. So you look at, you know, people on, for the last 30 years, what have they experienced? The first intifada, Oslo for, for five, six years, and then the second intifada, and then, uh, which lasted seven years, and then uh, and then Gaza and, and everything that, that's happened till today. So only for a very short time did they, did they have a, a semblance of normalcy. And then in the last 10 years, you know, with uh, the ease of lending and, and the introduction of a, a, a more um, advanced financial system are starting, as you said, if you look at the different cities, the different metropoles, they, they have a fairly uh, normal uh, life where you don't see the occupation day to day. And that's a product of that. You know, you see cafes, you see restaurants, you see nice cars. You see people going to shop uh, in a mall, uh, and and that's something that's that they or that's something they've been denied for a very long time, and that's what they want. Uh, but keep, but sorry, not to your your train of thought. But here's the thing: that's the problem in some ways is that because of these city centers that have kind of been allowed to flourish in that sense, it's it's very deliberate, of course. But when you go on the outskirts and in, in what is actually, you know, what do we say, areas B and C, but even even just the outskirts, you kind of go, oh, my God, there's all these forgotten people in so many ways or that the, the, and, and who in many ways, yes, it may be as easy to put their hands up and move into the city centers, which would be exactly the bidding of, 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 of the Israeli government, but, um, but but aren't and don't. And they are they're the ones who are really suffering actually in this, this absolutely i mean it's 
so that is it's a bubble and the 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 levels of inequality are extreme so the people the the difference between the haves and the have nots is is increasing like everywhere else in the world and so the people who um probably drive the economy are only a few and so even if you see the cities are bustling unemployment rates are some of the the highest in the world amongst youth right uh, if not the highest in gaza so yes even within the cities even for the majority of society and those uh, in the surrounding areas everyone is 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 facing a hard time but the only coping mechanism they've been given is this system of 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 um of debt so every palestinian is in severe debt and it it was a it was a policy introduced by the pa with the support of the imf and the world bank obviously the israelis because if you create a middle class that's going to pacify people from wanting to resist especially a people that's exhausted so a combination of these factors led us to where we are today where young people are extremely apathetic about politics and political participation because they've been shut out and they've been put on a path where they've been craving normalcy in a system that keeps them in the hamster wheel of life and it's a very difficult situation it's a very very dark situation unfortunately Yes, that's very useful actually having you you describe it like that. It's yeah. True. So it's and and there's no vision forward and that's the that's also uh, something that is not giving people hope. Um because there's no political system to participate in to have agency in creating your future. Um so you you end up disenfranchised and marginalized even though you represent the majority of society. You know. um so young people are extremely frustrated and i and, and the sad thing is for if you if you gave the opportunity for a palestinian young palestinian to leave they would mm. they would go and try to find a job and 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 some normalcy um because that's what they seek because even our own haven't given them a reason to stay and 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 resist or 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 struggle and uh, and that's also extremely sad mm. very sad yeah but i think it's i think it's important to keep telling the stories and i think um it's it's brilliant i mean when i saw the news that the president was shortlisted for an oscar you know it was such a sense of pride and joy and it really gives us fuel right uh and and keeps us going uh you know amazing palestinians creating amazing things that are putting us on on the map that are breaking these barriers of dehumanization that we're facing and i think uh, you know it it's such a it's a, such a wonderful feat thank you yeah i i i think also the key for me in all this is in some ways like a proof of concept you know that actually if we do tell our stories in a way that um that people can understand that it can resonate with where they can empathize and and that we but we are also you know able to expose a reality the truth and 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 we rehumanize or that that in many ways the world wants to welcome that they are open to understanding they are interested and intrigued not just with the present with with all my films when they were kind of released in at film festivals and 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 even more so with the present um always with q and a's um uh you know uh, it was always audiences and these are international audiences um 
asking questions, directing majority of questions sometimes towards me versus let's say other filmmakers, because they're, they're, they, are, they are genuinely interested. They're genuinely in many ways confused as well of like, well, but why, why is this happening? And, and okay, but where, you know, and this is wonderful because it tells me that, you know, yes, we, we need to tell our stories more and there are, there is audiences there that want to engage and they'll even award us for it. I mean, you know, the, the Oscar shortlist is, is great, phenomenal. And I, I didn't expect to, to, to get there, but um, I had high aspirations for the film. But it's the journey that got us there. I mean, the film has, has won over 25 jury and audience awards, having only been in around 40 festivals, very selective festivals, and they're all top tier festivals. And, um, and that told me it wasn't just even audiences, it was also the juries, and it was the juries, it was also the audiences. And, and it, just the reaction the film has had, I get emails and messages from people in Russia, in Japan, in, uh, sending me messages. They've seen the film and they're not people who necessarily, you know, are familiar with Palestine, but now they are. And, and on that human level, and that, that tells me that there, I'm on the right track, but also that there's room to engage in that way and that the world is, is ready and interested because again maybe 10 15 20 years ago that might not have been the case you know but we're in a world i mean you look at the black lives matter movement um and and just we're in you know especially after trump <laughs> you know where where suddenly you you could see who's aligned with who and all of a sudden it just became a lot clearer this facade that has been um uh perpetrated for for for, for, for many years suddenly became very clear, you know? And I think the world is ready in that sense. And with, of course, you know, technology placing this communications revolution into the palm of every single person nearly, essentially in the West, uh, social media, transatlantic media. It's just, maybe it's just the right time as well. But um, I'm so happy that, that it was shortlisted because the film itself, is not sugarcoating anything. Mm. I, I didn't make a film to try and appease anyone. It, it was a passionate piece of art reflecting a cruel reality. And it gives me faith, it gives me hope. And, and I, I'm not holding my breath for a nomination. And, and yes, okay, we're down to 10 films, but I, I know what the other films are. I, you know, there are some excellent films. I also know that these are, some of the films have people uh, in them and backing them and producing them that are like, you know, they've been in the, in the entertainment industry for, for a very long time. Um, you know, I'm not under any illusion, but if it were to be nominated, even more hope and faith in, you know, again, because we know what the film shows and depicts. Absolutely. Absolutely. If if we're anywhere, if we're good at anything as a, as a people, I think it's it's beautiful disruption. So <laughs> so I I'm I'm rooting for you, and I think you have an entire people rooting for you. And I think you know it already being shortlisted for for the Oscars is such an incredible achievement because it'll inspire another generation of Palestinian filmmakers. And this is what the the, the question I wanted to end on. You know, your sister told you, uh, Farah, you know, at 16, we always, you know, you, you ended up where you were supposed to be. 
and that's that's love that's really lovely so what what um what advice or what message would you send to aspiring palestinian filmmakers especially here there's so many um who are incredibly creative and talented what advice would you would you give them I think I think my advice is is not necessarily just to to filmmakers. So I think it's just to 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 anyone who's who's trying to pursue something that they really want to do. Um, for me, I would say that it has to be that whatever you're pursuing, let it be let it be beyond the self. Okay, because that is when you know, where the passion, where you feel something so beyond yourself that you are driven in a way where it, 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 it's no longer about the ego. It's no longer about the fear of failure because you are driven by something beyond you, you know, something that is it's so important to you. And so if you can find that thing, that is where you're going to be able to plow through the thick and the thin and and when things go wrong or things go right and and the world conspires because your intention was good your intention was not not selfish but you know um uh, uh giving in that sense yeah and and that's how i feel about the entire journey i've been through because i've always been very clear in my heart about the intentions of what I was doing, that it didn't matter to me what anyone thought or how hard it was going to be or, you know, uh, you know what I mean? And I really feel that the universe does conspire with that. So I think find passion and good intent and go beyond the self and things will open up. They will open up. Um, yeah, tenacity, you know, stick to it and, and push. <laughs> absolutely that's that's no that's wonderful and and i i hope uh, whoever's listening um you know finds a source of inspiration in it farah thank you so much it's it's been an absolute pleasure having you on and speaking to you and again rooting all the way not only for a nomination but hopefully for for an oscar win ah <laughs> <laughs> Oh God! You know that we've uh, we've shortlisted for the Baftas as well, well, long listed, which is the same. We're down to ten for the British Academy Awards. So, uh, yeah, let's hope, let's hope. But I mean, now you killed it. What <laughs> if it doesn't it, happen? <laughs> oh no, no! I again, it's already an amazing achievement. But let 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 us let us let us root for both the Baftas. But thank you, no, thank you for having me. And uh, yeah, I hope I hope it's lent some inspiration. Thank you for that.